All right, we're going to talk a little bit about firearms because firearms now, right now, is uh, at the forefront of our debate nationally. Pardon my use of the N-word. But we are seeing now with regards to the march subsequent to the Parkland shooting. We had a shooting at YouTube yesterday. And again, with these shootings, with these incidents, we see the trifecta of evil trying to keep us stupid, rearing its ugly head. What do we have here when I talk about the trifecta of evil? The government the media, and the education industry trying to keep us dumbed down. The latter two are regulated by the former via the process of, of um, regulations, licensing, grants, you name it. These two exist to perpetuate the nationalistic, centralist, all-powerful view of the national government. This is in direct contravention to our founding principles. And this is why I'm so excited to have Mike Meharry from the 10th Amendment Center here, because I just got, I, I don't know if you're getting these, Jeff, but I'm getting these in my private message box all the time. It's a little video about this new assault weapons ban. And uh, one of them from a hardcore Trump supporter, I said, yeah, there's your there's your president who supports the Second Amendment. That's what the candidate, Donald Trump, said. I support the Second Amendment. We, did, we just need to enforce the laws we have. Well, in this omnibus bill, guess what? We're getting more gun laws, none of them which are constitutional because they are emanating from Washington, D.C., meaning Congress. First Amendment, Congress shall make no law. That little clause there applies to the rest of them in the, in the Bill of Rights here. So this is at the forefront. We have a national narrative on how we're going to control guns. Again, this is not a national issue. So my friend said, well, what is it we are supposed to do? Because, and I can't, I, I hear this all the time. He was the lesser of two evils. When you vote for the lesser of two evils, you are still voting for what, Jeff? Evil. Evil, thank you. So he said, so what is the answer? And I said, the answer is, and this is so funny, because my closest friends don't listen to me. <laughs> it's family, friends completely tune me out. They're probably sick of hearing my voice by now. But I tried to tell them the answer is decentralization, the recognition of the states as sovereign and independent entities. Only then, then and only then, can we have an intelligent conversation on how we can deal with these issues that are really local, but are taking national, pardon my French, headlines and, and conversations. And I see people de defending Hogg and Gonzalez by saying, isn't it great? These kids have taken matters into their own hands. When you've got George Clooney, Oprah Winfrey, the mayor of Baltimore using taxpayer money to send you to Washington, D.C. in support of gun control, which, uh, so here we have the media, local government, we have the education industry, because the schools are complicit with the national walkouts, again, putting forth a narrative to benefit big government. Again, this was debated. It was completely uh, <laughs> disavowed at the Philadelphia Convention. This was never intended. So that being said, one of our greatest sources of education, I love this outfit. It's called the 10th Amendment Center. And our communications director, Mike Meharry, joins us today. Mike, I appreciate your waiting. How are you today? Hey, Suzanne. It's great to be on the show. I really appreciate it. And, and here's the solution to the gun issue. Here's, here's what people should do. You know, if you, if you want 
to deal with this overreach, these people that want to ban these guns and stuff, create a gun sanctuary city in your uh, sanctuary state for yourself. You know, follow the lead of what the progressives have done with immigration and make it so it's virtually impossible for the federal government to enforce its stupid laws uh, within your jurisdiction, whether that be local or state. Uh, this is a strategy that we can use on all kinds of issues, but instead everybody wants to run to Washington, D.C. and force a one-size-fits-all solution down our throats from the national government. We've, we've turned everything into a national issue, like you said, and, and I hate that word, too. We, I mean, everything from how much water we put into our toilets to uh, what kind of light bulbs we can screw into our light fixtures has become a federal issue, and it's it's absolutely absurd. And the solution is, as you said, decentralization and looking at ways that we can push back against this federal overreach at the state and local level. You know, when you mentioned uh, the light bulbs and, and all these little ways they get their fingers into our daily lives, it reminds me of, I moved here in the mountains pretty much to be left alone. Reminds me kind of like a, a <clears throat> guy, Randy Weaver. I want I moved here to be left alone, to mind my own business and, you know, obey what laws that I, I could I would have to and uh, ignore the other ones. So coming to me now in my mailbox was this official letter from the United States Census Bureau called the American Community Survey. And I, I wasn't going to talk about this, but I do want to touch on it because, again, you mentioned light bulbs. I don't know if you've seen this. Anybody can look it up. The act It's the PDF version of the actual paper copy I received just go to uh, American Community Survey. It will come right up. It is, I don't know, maybe 20 pages of questions. Now, gathering census numbers is constitutionally authorized. It's needed for representation in the House of Representatives. That being said, they also want to know how many toilets you have, how you heat your home. How many rooms you have, I think? Can you dress yourself? That was a red flag. Are you having trouble sleeping, I believe? But can you take care of yourself? Can you dress yourself? They never asked about guns. And to me, the absence of that question, coupled with questions such as how you can take care of yourself, was a huge red flag because you know there are going to be certain questions that will trigger the national background checks that they're talking about enhancing. I saw this, this was in 2015, where they were going with this. They want to know also if you had anybody stay at your home for more than a weekend. So Mike, if you had somebody stay at your house for three days, the federal government thinks it is their business and you are compelled by federal statute to let them know. Yeah, that stuff is scary. And, you know, people don't realize how all of this information ends up getting used. I, I was just looking, uh, I, I saw several stories online about a suburb of Chicago that has implemented some type of uh, quote unquote, I hate the term assault weapon because there's really no such thing, but whatever. Um, but yeah, they've implemented this, this ban in this city and people are required to give up their weapons or face like a thousand dollar a day fine, I think is what it was. And so how do they know? whether you have a gun. Well, the only way they know is if it's been registered. So like you said, all of this information gets compiled in these databases and uh, you know it becomes uh, fodder for the federal government to stick its nose into our lives and, and potentially put us uh, you know, in the crosshairs of criminal prosecution for, for this or that 
you know, I, I imagine that if you have too, you know, too many people staying in your house for too long, all of a sudden you become a motel and subject to some kind of tax or something. Exactly. And when you mention also the firearms and registration, if you go to the 10th Amendment Center, there's an article that Carl Jones and I wrote called National Reciprocity. It is a Trojan horse. If you get your firearms permit and now you cheer on this national reciprocity, guess what? We have national de facto gun registration and we walked right into that. Now at the federal level, if we get somebody that is anti-firearms, guess who's talking about running in 2020? Eric Holder. Oh, so boy. now we've got this clown who can come in and say, you know what, in the interest of public safety, the very guy that said we need to brainwash people against firearms, that we need to get change people's minds, get them to know that guns are bad. Do you think that this guy would hesitate for a nanosecond in, in, in canceling all of these national reciprocity, federally mandated firearms? I don't think he would hesitate for a minute. Oh, absolutely not. And again, you know, we, we can point out the problems. Let's also point out some solutions. We've seen some good legislation coming down at the state level uh, that would help alleviate this kind of thing. Uh, there's a bill that's pending in, uh, I believe, New Hampshire that would require the federal government to produce a, a warrant before getting any information from the state's medical marijuana registry. So, you know, that's an important step to protect that information. And I've seen another uh, bill introduced, and I cannot remember off the top of my head what state it was in, but it would prohibit the creation of any type of state gun registry. And that's important because the federal government uses the states uh, to do a lot of their dirty work. So a lot of the information that the federal government is gathering, uh, it gets gathered by state agencies and then passed along. So when the states ban and prohibit the sharing of this type of information, then it, it provides somewhat of a bulwark against what the federal government is trying to do. It's just like the, the license plate readers. You know, the, um, the DEA actually has a huge license plate database that uh, saves location and uh, tracking information on people's cars. And this is all gathered at the state and local level. So we need laws at the state and local level, uh, number one, limiting the access to license plate data, and number two, what data is uh, obtained for you know, legitimate law enforcement purposes needs to be protected and not shared with the feds. So these are the type of things that we're working on at the 10th Amendment Center and pushing, just trying to uh, create these buffers between the state, local governments, and the federal government, because essentially what we have in the United States today is almost a, uh, a melding together of state, local, and federal government agencies into one giant ball of mush. And those things need to be separated, they need to be delineated, and the federal government needs to basically stay out. That's the bottom line. Yeah, and, and Rick Barrett, who's actually been on my show, and he now has his show on uh, Crusade Channel, the, the Barrett Brief, we were talking about what he, he has, I, I think he got a master's degree in Homeland Security, and one of his teachers said, we have something now called new federalism, meaning even if an act is unconstitutional, federal law is unconstitutional, they can still get the states to comply by threatening to withhold grants. And I'll give you an example of that out here in a county in Utah. There was a school district that was questioning the efficacy of Common Core and was it really benefiting the students? Well, the conclusion was in the negative. So here's what they said. Well, 
we really think Common Core is not in the best interest of the students, so we want to pull away from it. But then they did an about face and said, but, you know, we really need this federal money and the kids' education comes first. And I thought, you know what? You just contradicted yourself and nobody in the media, because this wasn't a newspaper, called you out. You just said you were going against this because it was not in the best interest of the students, but then you said you wanted the money. But again, here we have complicity with the government, the media, the education industry all coming together to take away our liberties. And guess what? Common Core wasn't, wasn't you know, they didn't get away from Common Core from this because they wanted uh, to line their pockets. It wasn't about what the kids were. But when you talk about using state resources to help the general government, I believe we have a couple issues here. We have the supremacy clause. When I was in school, I remember a lecture. I loved my senior year civics class. And one of the discussions we had was the supremacy clause. Article six of the constitution said, according to my teacher, that the federal laws were always supreme. So California, for instance, could have tougher air pollution regulations than the federal government mandated, but could not have more lax regulations because the federal laws are supreme. You've written articles. This is a myth. Let's dispel that myth of the supremacy clause and why the government also cannot commandeer state resources to enforce their laws. This absolutely drives me crazy, this whole supremacy clause thing. And it's interesting because, you know, we were, we were banging our heads against this argument constantly about three or four years ago when Obama was in office and Republicans were trying to push back against things like, uh, you know, the Affordable Care Act and various other uh, Obama-era uh, programs and laws and whatnot. But now that Trump's in office, now all of a sudden the Republicans are all, you know, they're starting to talk about supremacy. Oh, the federal laws or federal laws are supreme. And the <laughs> problem with this is, it, I, it's just, this is the one thing that fires me up. They ignore the most important words in the supremacy clause. If you actually go read the supremacy clause, it does not say that federal law is supreme. It says laws made in pursuance of the Constitution are the supreme law of the land. If they're not, in made in pursuance of the Constitution, then they are, as Alexander Hamilton put it, void. And, you know, I don't like quoting Alexander Hamilton because he was the biggest nationalist and he was a bald-faced liar. But <laughs> Hamilton said it. <laughs> exactly. And and so this idea that, that there's absolute federal supremacy is, is absurd. But this is what you get from law professors, lawyers, uh, you know, pundits in the media, they read the uh, the uh, supremacy clause like this, you know, uh, this constitution and, and any other law that Congress wants to pass or the president, you know, uh, authorizes with his pen and, uh, and its phone are going to be the supreme law of the land. And this is just absolutely absurd. We know that in, you know, Federalist 45, Madison laid it out very clearly that the powers delegated to the federal government are few and defined. So to argue that whatever the federal government does is supreme totally contradicts this idea of a limited federal government. And, and in fact, it is not supreme. It is only supreme within its own sphere. And I use this analogy sometimes. I think I used it in my podcast in, in the last one. You know, uh, I play hockey and the referee is supreme on the ice. It's his, <laughs> it's his word. It's his law. You know, if he enforces the, the rules in the way he sees fit. But 
just because he's supreme on ice doesn't mean he can write me a traffic ticket. You know, he's not supreme outside of his sphere. And the federal government is not outside of its sphere, which is its delegated powers from the Constitution. It's really not that complicated. And, and again, uh, Hamilton, of all people, laid this out in uh, Federalist 33 when he talked about just because uh, a group of small societies or states enters into a union and creates a larger society doesn't mean that the power of that larger society can invade what he put called the residual powers of those smaller societies. So in other words, all of the powers that remain with the states and the people remain with the states and the people, and the federal government is not supreme in those spheres. So, uh, I think this is crucial for people to wrap their heads around, whether you're a Republican or whether you're a Democrat. The federal government has very limited powers, and we need to quit running to Washington, D.C. for absolutely everything. And so, it's very important that we be consistent in our thoughts and not run to them just because the guys that you like happen happen to be in charge. If you're just joining me, Mike Meharry, the communications director from the Tenth Amendment Center, is joining me presently, and we are talking about federalism. Federalism is not the same as nationalism. When I mentioned my friend contacting me about this assault weapons ban and said, well, what can we do? And that is we have to stop running to Washington, D.C. and the national government for our solutions. We have to break this down and think about decentralization. That's why the Tenth Amendment Center's work is so important. If you follow them, I believe it's at the Tenth Amendment Center where they can get a consolidated version of your book, Our Last Hope, which I have and love. We're going to talk about that. In fact, concepts we're talking about right now are alluded to in this book. But there's also a free ebook you can get, The Power of No. Is that still available, Mike? It is, and that's at my website, michaelmeharry.com. And if you just uh, go to that website, michaelmeharry.com, on the very front page, you'll see a box that you can click to download that ebook. It will cost you nothing but your email address. And I promise I won't spam you with a bunch of junk. Anything that I send you will be awesome. So, um, yeah, and go ahead I can, and do that. I can, I can attest to that. I am on that email list, and I am delighted with uh, your, your emails, your podcast, in fact, on April 2nd was the, the topic we just covered was federal supremacy, the biggest myth in American politics. So if you subscribe to that email address, you can you can get these great articles. I absolutely love them. And you know the other thing that people just assume, Alexander Hamilton of the Philadelphia Convention really did support the notion that the states would become mere corporations of a central government. When that was shut down, when it came time to ratify it, Alexander Hamilton became quite the Federalist. Mm -hmm. This is a topic for another show, but boy, howdy, did he revert to his old evil Philadelphia ways once he got put into power. There was a fascinating presentation. Brian McClanahan was on the bill. Boy, that was that was an honor to be oh, yeah. uh, present uh, in Alabama. We spoke at an SCV Education Day, and I was on the same bill as Brian McClanahan, and it was fascinating to hear what he had to say. Ryan Walters from the Abbeville Institute and Tommy Daniels also was there to talk about Southern music. I understand you've been there. I absolutely love uh, Sons of Confederate Veterans. It is about history. It is about heritage. Great, great day of education. But again, federalism is what we need to talk about and getting people to understand that the states really have the power to scale back what the federal government is doing in overreach. And what we need to do is counter the misinformation. For instance, in high school, I remember learning about 
the general government or the powers of the general government and checks and balances. We had that little triangle where we had the executive, the judicial, and the legislative, or for the younger kids, it was President, Congress, and the Supreme Court, and how the three of them would effectively keep their powers in check, and they would never go beyond their constitutional authority. Well, I, I hear you laughing. And <laughs> when I taught this class now, I taught this at a homeschool co-op out here in Park City, and I did that little triangle, but there was one big difference. I put in big capital letters all around this stupid little triangle, state, 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 states. That's what we need to focus on. And even beyond that, like you mentioned, sanctuary cities. Get this at a local level. I am a huge advocate of, and we'll, we'll do this on another show, civil disobedience as well as jury nullification if you're being prosecuted under these unjust laws. But Mike, we were talking about misinformation and uh, it, malfeasance in the education industry. I experienced that as a law school. You recently had a podcast. Don't go to a lawyer to learn about the Constitution. Why don't you expound upon that? I, and you can find this where? Where can people download this podcast? Uh, that is at uh, michaelmaharry.com. I think it's slash thoughts from a hairy head. If you go to the main okay. page, there, you'll, you'll see the link at the top of the, of the show. It's on my page. We posted it on the web page for the show, our fan page, also on both of my pages. And we'll repost it again because it's absolutely brilliant. Because unfortunately, lawyers have this presumption of having validity in their opinions about federalism. I'm going to let you expound upon that, and then I'll chime in with my law school experiences. Yeah, absolutely. So the, the impetus for that particular podcast was actually some comments that John Bolton, our warmongering yes. new uh, <laughs> defense I, I don't know what what's national security advisor. I think is his official title. But um, actually, before he was even appointed, he decided we've we've had this chorus against nullification. And for people who don't know, nullification in, in its simplest term are state actions that render a federal action null, void, or simply unenforceable within a state. So this is a process that states can use to push back against federal power. Uh, it's um, blueprint is in Federalist 46 when James Madison suggested that when the federal government committed an unwarrantable act or even a warrantable act that happens to be unpopular, that the states could refuse to cooperate with officers of the union. So this is the type of action that we use at the 10th Amendment Center to nullify uh, federal law. Well, all of a sudden we've had, and so let me back up a little bit. Uh, several years ago, Rachel Maddow, our favorite uh, MSNBC hostess, uh, she did an actual full 15-minute package called Confederates in the Addict. And it was all about nullification. It featured the Tenth Amendment Center and John C. Calhoun. And it was all of this historical nonsense about nullification, principally that it was about racism and slavery. Of and course. Of course, we've debunked that, and, and we spent about two years, you know, uh, shouting down the progressives who keep making these absurd notions. And now all of a sudden, Republicans have joined Rachel Maddow's choir. So we had Jeff Sessions, we've had Dick Morris, we've had some dude at the Heritage Foundation, and John Bolton also joined this chorus. And, and he did this whole thing about uh, how, you know, John C. Calhoun created nullification, which is BS. Uh, Thomas Jefferson and James Madison were the first two people to actually articulate this principle. But he went on to say that Calhoun came up with it in order to assert that the southern states did not have to enforce American laws on slavery. 
American laws. Exactly. Slavery was the law of the land. I mean, this is just absolutely absurd that that somebody would say this. It's not it's not just that his opinion is kind of wrong or, you know, maybe he's misinterpreted. No, he's 180 degrees wrong historically. I mean, there's absolutely no basis for what this man said. And yet here he is, a Yale educated lawyer. I mean, this is supposed to be the smart dude, right? And we assume that because, well, he's a Yale educated lawyer, he must know something about the Constitution and history. No, he doesn't know jack squat about it and and the problem is and i never went to law school so i'll, I'll be happy to hear your experience with it but this is what i have gleaned talking to many many lawyers over the last five or six years that i've been working with the 10th amendment center most of them know nothing about the constitution they learn nothing about constitutional history they take a constitutional law class which basically starts at marbury versus madison and uh, consist of a whole bunch of Supreme Court opinions. And that's not constitutional history. Constitutional history is looking at the ratification debates and looking at what the supporters of the Constitution said during ratification. That's where we find the meaning of the Constitution. People like John Bolton, they have absolutely no clue, or else they do have a clue and they're lying. And, you know, I like to be generous and, and assume that people aren't lying, although that's probably too fair of me. <laughs> but, but, um, but I do know for a fact, you know, I've talked to a lot of my friends who went to law school, and they'll, they'll, they'll admit, no, we never learned anything about, you know, maybe they looked at the Federalist Papers uh, in passing in one class, but they've never really explored the ratification debates and what supporters of the Constitution said. And my experience in law school, and I will tell people right now, I was working full-time when I decided to go to law school, and there was an option in California. It was a little unaccredited. You don't have to go to an ABA or even a state-accredited law school. So I went to a law school that was actually renting out rooms in a middle school campus. So you can try and discredit me and say I didn't go to an accredited law school. And that happened to me once on a Facebook debate about uh, the War of Northern Aggression where a woman bragged about being in a top 100 law school. Kevin Goodsman mentioned that she was actually in a bottom 100 law school, <laughs> if you go by the numbers. But we have this arrogance because we have to study hard to get through law school. We have to study hard to pass the bar exam. But what I found was the legal education, what I refer to as the malfeasance of the legal education industry, because as we are doing right now, education is the key to solving our problems. Well, the legal education industry is contributing to the perpetuation of our ignorance because they are turning out lawyers regardless if you went to a two-bit night law school like I did or if you went to Yale, University of Chicago, whatever, these kids are not being taught the Constitution. Going back to your reference to constitutional law, Marbury versus Madison, first night. <laughs> and... <laughs> What we are taught, Marbury versus Madison, was the Supreme Court has the power to interpret the Constitution, judicial review. That's where it starts. That's where it ends. Then, well, who's going to determine what the Constitution is? Or I mean, sorry, how do we determine when a case is worthy of review by the federal judiciary and ultimately the Supreme Court? Well, when that raises a constitutional question. Well, thanks to the 14th Amendment, Pretty much anything under yeah. the sun that you can put into the made-up category of substantive due, right, uh, due process and fundamental rights now becomes a constitutional question. And I remember thinking of this, and this was even going back to that high school civics class, was, well, 
We have the Constitution. We have these three branches of government supposing, that are supposed to keep themselves in check. And then they describe the Tenth Amendment as the police powers of the state. Well, words have meaning. And when you tell kids that the states have police powers, you think that they have the powers to enforce their local laws, the laws that you would assume that the police are responsible for enforcing. So you're thinking about traffic, drugs, that sort of thing. <clears throat> that was reserved to the states when in actuality, the direct opposite is true, as you mentioned with Madison 45, view and defined uh, for the general government, numerous and definite for the states. So <clears throat> that is continued into our law school education. So we have the 10th Amendment, which is very, very clear that those powers that were not delegated nor prohibited to the states remained with the states. The states created this general government, essentially creating a free trade zone and a means for common defense. But once you get into law school, we go straight into the Alexander Hamilton pre and post ratification time, and we do it on steroids. So get us into constitutional law. And I ask now, when we get into the 14th Amendment, how do you reconcile the 14th Amendment with the 10th Amendment? And I'm sitting there thinking, I must be really dumb because this does not compute. I'm not I getting it. It does not make sense. And here's how they address it on the bar exam. Well, in law school, we are not taught about the history of the Constitution. We are taught case law, starting with Marbury versus Madison. Well, where are these cases coming from? Overwhelmingly, we are starting with the cases where the general government and the branch that's supposed to keep it in check, the judiciary branch, jumps the shark with McCulloch versus Maryland. We can review that. We're going to do that another time. Interestingly, the author of a book on McCulloch versus Maryland recently appeared on C-SPAN, and he said that our general government was created when the state's and the and a nation created a compact. Chew on that one. So uh, what? <laughs> in law school now, and when we're studying for the bar exam, so we are taught that constitutional law is case law, going back from Marbury, McCulloch versus Maryland, and then what we have is the judicial revolution, coup d'etat of the 1930s when we have leftist New Deal judges determining that the Constitution means what they say it means to, per, to further their policy-driven outcomes. I'll let you expound upon that a little bit. Well, I think, think about the absurdity of it for a minute. You, know, you have this, this limited government, and there's no, there's no denying if you actually go back and look at the ratification debates, if you look at what was necessary to say in order to get the Constitution ratified. When you realize that somebody like Hamilton all of a sudden, as you said, became a ardent Federalist during the ratification time, that's because they knew that if they started saying, well, this federal government is going to have unlimited power, nobody would ratify the Constitution. Nobody wanted that. So they said that it was limited. So if you have a limited government, and again, there's no debate on this, how can you have a branch of that federal government determining its own powers? It, it's, it does not compute, as you said. You know, it's like, it's, it, it's, Tom Woods uses this analogy, and I'm going to steal it because I think it's, it's, it's uh, pretty telling and it's kind of funny. You know, let's say you and I are having a debate, and I just say, okay, let's resolve this debate. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to go to my mother, and we're going to let my mother be the judge of our debate, and whatever she says goes. Well, 
I don't think you're probably going to agree to that because my, my mother is a lovely woman and she is a very fair person, but I'm going to guess she's probably going to side with her, with her boy in all likelihood. And, and that's what people are, are asserting with this idea that the Supreme Court gets to decide, you know, in all cases, we've got these politically connected lawyers who are uh, appointed by people in the federal government. They get their paycheck from the federal government. You know, they are part of the federal government. And we're supposed to trust them to limit the powers of the federal government. This is absurd. And, uh, and again, this is what you learn in law school. And, and I'll just say this. I did not go to law school. I went to journalism school. But I spent the last six years studying the Constitution, studying the ratification debates, reading all of this source material. I will go up against any lawyer out there and debate the Constitution and, and feel very confident that I can clean their clock because, like you said, they just don't have any earthly idea what they're talking about. And we need to quit listening to these people. And we need to listen to people. I, I'll make an exception that I do not want to debate Kevin Gutsman, who is a lawyer and a historian, because he would clean my clock. So I'll put that caveat in there. <laughs> For the and, most and part, I will debate any lawyer on the Constitution. This is why lawyers, and Kevin's both, he's both a lawyer and a historian. This is why, if you want to understand what the Constitution means, you need to go back. If you don't want, I haven't read the ratification debates. I let these guys, the heavy hitters, do the, the heavy lifting for me. Goodsman, read Raoul Berger, read mm -hmm. M.E. Bradford. We've got Tom Woods. We've got the Tenth Amendment Center. We've got all these resources available. Going back to law school now. So you have to regurgitate this gobbledygook, mumbo-jumbo garbage we're fed and always assert now, remember in my constitutional law class, I got 95 out of 100 points and I had to argue all in corporation doctrine, yep. meaning our system of federalism was abrogated in, per, in, in pursuance of the 14th Amendment, which has served, I tell people all the time, as a springboard by which our federal republic has been systematically dismantled. Absolutely. So you, you spew forth this garbage and you get a great grade, and then this this garbage and putting this back is reaffirmed and re and re rewarded when you take the bar exam. Mm -hmm. When we go to our bar review courses, we have to take a multiple choice exam. It's a three day exam. The second day is what they call the um, uh, I forgot, multiple choice. So. As we study for this test and we get our bar review courses, they'll say, here's a little hint. Anytime you get a question and you have to choose between the 10th Amendment and the 14th Amendment, and this is a true story, the 14th Amendment is always the correct answer. And I will shout it from the rooftops right now. In life, as in the bar exam, or unlike as in the bar exam, the 14th Amendment is always the incorrect answer. Absolutely. Very few exceptions. And Mike, this is why what you guys do over there is so important because we have to be consistent and again, not embrace nationalism when the matter suits us. You had a very provocative commentary a while back about, well, it's the law of the land when it comes to immigration, but boy, howdy, don't you try to take our guns. Let's talk a little bit about inconsistency here and why consistency sometimes irks people. Yeah, you know, it's interesting because I was thinking about this today. I'm, gonna, uh, I'm, I'm working on an article or a, uh, at least a blog post for the Tenth Amendment Center on this idea of consistency because I'm consistently amused by the travails of these uh, gun control kids in Parkland, Florida, because they are now outraged that their privacy is being violated <laughs> because they have to have clear backpacks. 
And this is a perfect example. You know, you can't trample on my right of self-defense and then scream and shout when your right of privacy is being violated. It doesn't work that way. If the government has the power to trample rights arbitrarily because of your opinion, then by golly, the school has every right to make you wear your ugly, stupid, clear backpack, and you really have no grounds, at least from a, a philosophical or consistent basis, in order to, uh, you know, to support your position. And so this is very important. This consistency is important because whenever you give the government an inch to overstep its power because it suits your agenda, you may win that little battle. But when you give the government that power, at some point, that power is going to be turned against you in a way that you don't like. And once you've seeded that ground, your foundation for resisting power is gone because then it just becomes a wrestling match of competing opinions. And, you know, in, in this willy nilly world with, as you say, the, uh, you know, the media and the government and collusion, to expand government power, you're never going to win that war. The public opinion is constantly going to be turned against you. You know, I, I tell people all the time that the, the Second Amendment, the First Amendment, these things were put in place because our founding generation was wise enough to understand that when there was a tragedy, when things got difficult, there would be a temptation to expand federal power. The Second Amendment was in, put in place exactly for uh, situations like we had in Parkland, when emotions are high and when people are saying, do something, do something, there's a stop sign saying, wait a minute, we have some absolute principles and we're not going to cross these lines. When we erase those lines, they're gone forever, and you have absolutely no way to um, you know, push back against future federal overreach. So for all of the Republicans out there who are jumping up and down and you're all happy that the federal government's going to force California to enforce immigration law, you know, Enjoy that, but when somebody comes along and starts actually doing a gun ban, and you know you're 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 wanting the uh, the state to resist it, well, you're going to have a hard time because you're erasing what little legal precedent that we actually have. We have one good legal precedent in the American system that still supports federalism, and that's the anti-commandeering doctrine. And in a very simplest nutshell, basically the court has held since 1842 that the federal government cannot force states to enforce federal law or implement federal programs. This has been consistent. It's an important piece of federalism. It's a thing that the states have where they can resist federal power. And we're in danger of erasing that right now. And I think people should really think twice before they destroy a principle of federalism in order to advance their own preferred policy. And that's what we're seeing, especially with immigration. Like you said, everybody was coming down on California with their sanctuary cities. And I said, you know, it's a stupid policy, but according to yeah. the Constitution, and again, you can go to the Tenth Amendment Center. These guys are so <laughs> generous and letting me vent, and, and they published my articles. I posted one. They published it called The Constitutional Solution to Immigration. And we might not like it, but if you think about we only have a couple more minutes. We're going to have to get you back on here. If you think about it, 13 sovereign and independent states came together to form a voluntary union. We have a uniform rule of naturalization, Article 1, Section 8, Clause 4, right. which, which sets the pathway to U.S. citizenship. But the states never delegated the authority to the general government to 
determine who is going to live within their territorial borders. But here's where it gets a bit dodgy, is these people come in, come through the state borders, and now the general government feeds them all these goodies. So you're throwing out all the little seeds, and then you're complaining when the pigeons come in. Well, you know, stop all the federal benefits, make the states be fiscally responsible for their policies. Uh-huh. California knows these people are going to be paid for by Ohio, Utah, Mississippi tax dollars. Exactly. So basically what you have is you have one constitutional program or set of programs feeding another unconstitutional set of programs. And, and this is why, you know, we need to limit the federal government to its uh, its delegated powers, and we need to allow the states to set their own policies and live or die by them. And if we did that, then you know California could experiment with immigration all it wanted to. If they were responsible to pay for it, then it would be their problem. And I absolutely agree. But I I, I think that a lot of times people say, well, we've got all this this unconstitutional stuff. So we're just going to add some more unconstitutional stuff on top of it because, you know, that's, that's the policy that we like. And we need to really be careful. Instead of trying to do that, we need to try to rein it in us. And again, you know, your article has become the go-to at the 10th amendment center site on this constitutional solution. And I think that if we allow states, you know, if to, to suffer the consequences, let California have its immigration policy. On the other hand, we've got Texas who has committed to absolutely assist with the enforcement of immigration. And, uh, you know, I think when you do that, I think people are going to be a lot less likely to go to Texas if they know that they're going to get deported. They'll stay in California and then California can deal with it. So federalism is a solution to so many problems. It's decentralization. It's about allowing different jurisdictions to experiment. And by so doing, we can find out what works and what doesn't. And, you know, we can always move if we don't like the policies in the state. You got out of California, right? You're, you're in Utah. That's absolutely I'm what about I, to, I I'm, about to, I'm yep. about to boogie out of Kentucky because they keep raising our taxes here. So I'm, I'm planning on moving to a, a lower tax state here in the near future, plus one that's warmer. <laughs> as I wrap up the show, this, this discussion today, please share far and wide with your friends. Federalism is always the answer. Nationalism is going to be the cause of our problems, the the bane to liberty. It's going to be a problem. We need to decentralize. For everybody asking me what we should do, I'm going to be sharing this post, this this, uh, show far and wide. It is the key. So follow the 10th Amendment Center. Support them. You can donate to them. Become a member. Follow Mike Meharry. Two bucks. Emails. (laughs) Uh, Get our last hope. Education is key. It is our really our it is our last hope uh, because other than that we're going to revert down to chaos. So thank you for joining me, Mike Meharry from the Tenth Amendment Center. I'm Suzanne Sherman, Jeff Johnson, producing the show here at the Wasatch Report on the Cerberus Radio Network, defending liberty and freedom from the flames of tyranny.